All right. Well, um, hope you're doing good. Glad that you could join us here on Palm Sunday. Thank you, worship team Jared, for leading us in good worship this morning. Um, grab your grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter five. And that's where we're going to find our text today, Romans 5, verse 12. So Romans 5, verse 12 says this, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. So that text sets us up for today's question, and today's question is this. Did God create us unable to keep his law? Did God create us unable to keep his law? And the, the simple answer is no. Not, not originally, right? So originally, in, our, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, he created them with the ability to be free from sin. Adam didn't have to sin. What we don't know about Adam and, and, and his relationship with God is how long um, he was around until, until um, he did sin. We, we know that he named all the animals. We know that he, he had a relationship with God. He had some sort of routine going on. So there must have been a, a great length of time that Adam woke up every day, did whatever God wanted him to do that day, and did it completely and did it perfectly. So he was able not to sin, but eventually he did. Eventually Adam did exactly what God told him not to, and, and Adam sinned. He broke God's law, and because he broke God's law, our very nature is broken. We, we no longer have the ability that Adam had to, to live our life in a way that we keep the law perfectly and consistently like we looked at last week. We don't have that ability in us. We have no choice. Every day we wake up, we do something that we would rather not do, or we don't do the things that we should do, and we break God's law and we sin. So then that's why we get this answer out of the book. It says, to answer the question of, did God create us unable to keep God's law? It says, no, but because of disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. So we're all fallen, we're all broken, we're not the way God created us. Instead, we are born in sin and guilt, and we are corrupt in our very nature and unable to keep God's law. So as I went through this um, study, thinking about it, thinking, okay, what's going on here? There were a couple of questions that, that kind of came to mind. The first one is, is this. How, why, why, because I'm a why person, I don't, I don't like things when we don't know why, so why does Adam's sin impact us? And that, that's Adam's sin, it's not my sin, he, he made the mistake, I didn't, why does what he did impact me at all? Why does it impact my life? And, and the first thing we need to understand is this, it does not impact our life, my life, your life, because of ancestry. It has nothing to do with his, with our DNA that he passed on to us. Um, if that was the case, then, then, then Abraham's righteousness would have passed on, right? So he, at one point in his life, God counted 
his faith in God as righteousness, and it seems like his righteousness would have passed on to his children and his children's children and so on and so forth, but we know that it didn't. The blessing that God gave him passed, but the righteousness itself did not. So why did Adam's sin impact us? Why did it get passed down? Why did the effects of it get passed down? And the reason why that is is because Adam was our representative. He, he, he stood in place of all humanity um, in that moment, in that test. He was our representative. And in that, he's a lot like, he's a lot like Christ. Um, in verse 14, if, you're still, if your Bible is still open there, in verse 14 of Romans, um, Paul says that, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Moses, so the, the effect of Adam's sin reigned, the death continued. And he points this out. He says, who, speaking of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, speaking of Christ. So he looks at Adam and says, in, in, in a way, Adam and Jesus are connected in this. He was a type of Christ in this, in that they both represented mankind in their, in their life, in their test. And, and when we think about it, what we see in Adam and what we see in Jesus is we see um, two tests, right? We see a test of obedience both times. They're both tests of obedience, and they're both tests that take place in a garden. So, so Adam's test was in the Garden of Eden. It was one, one law, one rule, don't eat, don't eat the fruit on this tree in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus' test of obedience was, do this one thing. I need you to go and take on the weight of sin and pay the price with your death for all, all humanity. That's what I need you to go do. And, it was, and there was two obedience tests. And, and if you look at Jesus, the reason why I say it was a test, the reason why I say he was tested is because in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he's not um, flippant about what's going on. He's not um, you know, going, hey, it's no big deal. I'm going to die later. It's okay. It's, it's just part of it. He's not like that. Remember, he, he goes and he has his disciples pray with him and he agonizes over this decision, right? He, he goes, he goes um, um, Lord, if, Father, if, this, if there's any other way for this cup to pass by, if there's any other solution to this sin problem, can we choose that way, right? And we know that he's agonizing over it because the Bible says he sweats so profusely that it runs off him like blood. It, it is just, pour, his sweat is just pouring off his body. He is agonizing over this, over the cross, over what's about to take place. And at one point, he, he, he settles on the decision and makes the decision to do what God's asked him. And he says these words, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in a very real way, Adam, though, though no, not explicitly, not actually saying these words, but in a very real way, he says the same thing, but in an opposite way. When, when, when Eve bites the fruit and hands it to Adam, Adam is saying, Lord, not, not your will, but my will be done. And he fails, and he breaks, he, he doesn't pass the test, he breaks the law, and, and so as our representative, that brokenness is passed on to us. So that's why it impacts us, that, that um, curse for a disobedience. And we see this in, in life, right? This is, not, this is not something that's foreign to us. Um, 
Think about, even in the Bible, um, in Joshua, I didn't put this scripture on the screen, but in the book of Joshua, um, as, they, as they, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name off the top of my head, I think it's Anon. Is that how you say his name? Anybody in the audience? There's not many. If you're at home going, audience, there's no audience. There's like two people in here, but um, okay, there's not, okay, there's not two. I can tell you exactly how many people I can count. There's, there's like eight of us. Because um, I want you to think I'm lying to you, because I'm not lying to you. But anyway, oh goodness, why can't I think of this guy's name? Aiken is the guy's name. Aiken. Remember Aiken? So, so they defeat Ai and they, they wind up um, keeping, a- Aiken keeps some of the treasure for himself. And in that moment, all of Israel is punished because of what he's done until they figure out it was him and then they just punish his family. And, and, and so we see that in the Bible, but we also see it in our own lives. When, when I was a, a young, uh, I guess I was a teenager, I was in high school, I was, in, I was on the baseball team briefly. Um, I didn't make it, and that's okay. Um, that's why I'm pastoring and not, not in Major League Baseball, right? So, it's, so you're blessed that I wasn't a baseball star. Anyway, um, <laughs> So our baseball team in high school, one day um, our coach wasn't there, right? So it's, it's, he's a normal teacher. We had like a six-hour period of baseball, and he wasn't there that day. And so he, he had an, a, a substitute come in, and, and she, sweet old lady, she just was just there to make sure we didn't kill each other. And, and so we, just, we were supposed to just, you know, practice and do whatever, and we knew what to do. But um, these two young boys get it they wound up getting into to a fight they fought each other and it got so bad that the poor poor substitute lady had to go and 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 bring a, a, a the principal in to break it up and it was i mean it was a big deal and so we that everybody knew we were in a lot of trouble when our baseball coach got back the next day and so what he made us do he, he didn't just punish those those, those um, the two boys that got in a fight he punished all of us Every single one of us had to go out to the baseball diamond and run uh, until we almost puked. It, it was horrible. Um, I think that was the day I quit baseball. I don't remember, but um, uh, but he punished all of us. It wasn't just me. It was, I mean, it was, I didn't do anything wrong, but it wasn't just the boys. It wasn't just their fault. It was all of our faults. He punished all of us. I mean, we're all we're all in it together. And so we see that example in, in real life that that when one person who represents the whole. Those negative things can pass on to the whole group. Well, we see it in the positive way too. Like you know, the Olympics was supposed to be this summer, and if we had had Olympians go from America and, and 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 win gold medal, they would be winning that not for themselves individually, but for the country. They would win for the country. We would. So we we see that idea, right? So that's why Adam's sin is connected to us, impacts us. So then my second question, which is kind of a two-part question, is is this, and it's it's why does it matter that God originally created us able to keep his law, and now we are unable to keep his law. So why does that even matter? Why do we even bring it up? Why do we, why do we even talk about it? And so let's, let's break this down into two parts, right? So first part is why did God, why does it matter? Right, that's the question. Why does it matter God originally created us able to keep the law? And the reason why that matters is it, it, it's very important is this. Our sinful nature is not natural. It's not natural. Not natural in the meaning that it's not the way God wanted us to be. It's not the way um, God created us to be originally. 
right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says this. It says, and God saw everything. Right? So not, not, just the, not just the planet, not just the animals, not just the plants and the water and the ocean and the stars, and, but he saw everything, including mankind, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and the morning and the sixth day. So he saw everything that he had created and said, it's very good. So, we, so that nature that he created us with, the ability to, to, to keep the law, was good. It was the way he wanted it to be. And the reason why that's important is because that gives us a place to return to. Right? If, if we didn't realize that we were originally created that way, we could just go, well, that's just, you know, we're sinful, that's, we're sinners, that's the way things are, let's not worry about it. But knowing that that's the original state, the state that we can return to, a state that is free from sin, is where God wants us to be. That's it's important. It impacts our life. It, it. Um, I, I'm going to say this again, but it, it's, it bears repeating. It is the place that God is calling us to return to. So that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question: Why is it? Why does it matter that we're now unable to keep the law? And, it, and it's this. This is the answer to that question. Is this? Is that? This free state, this free from sin state that God had originally created for us to be in is now outside of our ability to reach. We cannot, on our own, return to the place that God had always intended us to be. We need help. We need someone to help us get there. We can't do it by ourselves. I cannot return to this free state all by myself. I need help. I need someone to, to, to help me because we need a new nature. I cannot change my nature. I cannot create a new Nathan. I have, I have someone else has to do that, which is where Jesus comes in. This is out of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus about the idea of being born again. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless they're born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And then it says, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? It's a good question. We don't, we don't understand this. We, we don't get the idea that, that our nature, one, needs to be changed or how to change it. So he's like, how can you be born again? He's, he's old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, I truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water, so that's natural birth, and the spirit, that is the, the rebirth that we have through Christ, through his spirit in us, he says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. And so what he's trying to help us see is that we need to be changed, we need to be born again, and that he's the one that helps us do that, the Spirit. Which is why Paul then says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you're in this born-again state, he says he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So, so if we're in Christ... 
He's come in our lives, in our hearts, to change our very nature, to, to set us free, free from our sinful nature and free to pursue God's law. Not like we learned last week, Ethan brought in last week, that we can't do it perfectly, we don't do it consistently. We're still free to try. While we're free, we're not completely free, not completely free until we get to be with him in heaven when he, when he com- finishes the process that he's beginning now. But make no mistake, he started the process now. There's no reason for us to not try to pursue him. We can't just go, you know what, I'm saved, but I have a wicked, sinful nature, so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, and then when I get to heaven, God will remake me completely. No, it's it's a process. It must begin now. It must begin now. So, question is this, Where's the struggle? Where's the struggle in this? We see it, right? You see, you see, hey, we, I get it. We're, we, we, were, we were originally created not to sin, but because of Adam now, we are impacted by that, and, and we do sin. We have no choice in it. Where does that impact? And I, think there's a two, I think there's two different impacts. One impact, for, or one struggle, excuse me, imp- struggle. One struggle for those of us who don't know Jesus and a struggle for those of us who do. For those who don't know him, I think that the struggle is this is the people who don't, don't know Jesus cannot see their need for uh, a new nature. They can't see their need for a change. And this is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. By their very lives, not living for God, living unrighteous, they suppress the truth. The truth is that they need a new nature. They need help. They need to be changed. They're they're fine with the way things are. But if they really examine their hearts and examine their lives, they would see that things aren't fine, that, that their life is very broken, that they have struggles. And for those of us who do believe, I think the struggle is this. I think the struggle is that we say this, we go, well, if, if we must sin, if we have no choice in this, if we're unable to keep God's law perfectly consistently, if that's something we cannot do, then why even care? Well, why even try to stop sinning? Does holiness even matter? I think that's our, our struggle. And Paul anticipates this question from this passage, if you just keep, if you still get your Bible open, just look on down there to the beginning of chapter 6. Chapter 6 says this, verses 1 through 4, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That God would continue to forgive us because he's going to? And he says, by no means. Absolutely not. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? If we have... If we have died to our old life and now live for Christ, how can we continue to live in the life that we died to? He continues, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus, as Christ, was raised from, or, yeah, raised from, the, from the dead by the glory of the Father. We, too, might walk in newness of life. So just as Christ was raised 
from the dead by the glory of the Father, we were too raised into a new life, to walk in a new life. Jesus saves us, resurrects us in this lifetime so that we can live for him, not so that we can continue to sin. So, that brings us to this question. What, what needs to change? We see the struggle, we see the problem in it, but, but what needs to change? Well, I think that those that, are, that don't know Jesus... I think they need to see their need for a new nature. That's what needs to change. They need to recognize that they cannot get to the place that God, their creator, had created them to be without his help. He is the bridge. He is the way that, that we get there. And we need to, lost people need to see their need for a new nature. Because whether they realize it or not, every day they wake up and they live their life in sin. They can't help it. They can't, none of us can. And that's why they need him so desperately. And those of us who do know Jesus, I think this is what needs to change for us. I think we need to pursue holiness. I think we need to make the pursuit of living a holy life an active part of who we are every day. Because the truth is we still sin, but complete holiness, complete holiness is still the goal. So how do we make this change? So as I wrap up here this morning, I want to I give you three steps to pursuing holiness. I, I should have put these on the screen, but I didn't. But it's okay. They're pretty easy. You can probably just jot them down at home. The great thing about being, you being at home, right, is you can pause. Don't pause me too long. That's rude. Um, but you can pause, and then you can write, write these down, and then you can play again. That's kind of neat. You can't do that live. Um, people try, they have the remotes, they point, do this at me and it doesn't work at all. But at home it will work. So three steps to pursuing holiness. And they're steps because they're progressive. The first one begins and you, you go along. And some of us may be in different places. So maybe, some of us may be on step one already or step two already and that's okay. But these are the three steps in pursuing holiness. Step one. Yeah, I didn't get it. Step one. Um, we need to see holiness as a legitimate goal. That's the first step, an actual legitimate goal. Because I think the problem that we have is, is we go, you know what, holiness, not possible, right? That, that bar is, whoop, I can't, my, my shirt's tucked in, I can't reach that high, but it's high. So we don't, we, we just go, okay, the bar's too high, you know, I'm kind of a middle of the ground guy, so this is gonna, I'm gonna create a new goal for myself, this is it. Not perfect, not complete holiness, just holiness-ish. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of hang out in this middle area. But that's not at all what Scripture teaches us. This is 1 Peter 14 through 16. He says, as obedient children, so obedient, those who do what's, what God is calling to do, obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your, of your former ignorance. Right? So that's where the people we talked about earlier who don't know Jesus, they don't realize that they're even in need of a Savior. They don't even realize they need because they're, they're, they're in, in ignorance. So he's like, don't, don't conform to the old way of life, that old former ignorance. He says, but as he who called you is holy, there's the bar. Unfortunately, that's the bar. He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He's talking about perfection. Not most, not some, 
all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we need to see holiness as a legitimate goal, something that God is actually calling us to. Once we see that as a legitimate goal, and then we immediately recognize it's not possible in, in, within ourselves as far as it... it um, What's the word I'm looking for? As far as it depends on me, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it can't be done. So that leads us to step two. We need to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Holiness is an actual goal. It's a legitimate goal, something we should try to do. Can't do it by ourselves, so therefore we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is John 14, 26. says, but the helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus sent his spirit after he ascended so that he could help us in this pursuit of holiness. So we, so we recognize holiness is a legitimate goal. We, we, we lean on the help of the spirit. And then lastly, in our failure, we run to God and not away from him. We're not going to do this perfectly. We, we learned that last week. We cannot we try, but we're going to fail at some point. And, and, and as children, we don't, we don't want to be around our father when we've messed up. Like, I, like when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't make mistakes and then run to my dad and tell him. <laughs> I would hide. I would not make sure he didn't find out about the mistake I made. I would do whatever. And that's our, that's our inclination. That's our nature to do that. But, but I want to encourage you to not run away from God when we mistakes, make mistakes, but run toward him. Let me read this to you from Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. It says, he says, come to me. That's Jesus calling us, come to me. All who labor are heavy and are heavy laden. And he's talking about the law here. He's talking about trying to keep God's commandments. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is telling us in this passage, he's telling us, come to me. Yes, if you try to keep the law all by yourself, all the rules that are in the Bible, you are going to have a hard time that's going to weigh you down and you're going to fail. He says, but come to me and I will give you rest. That burden is our inability to keep God's law. And when we struggle, when we struggle to pursue holiness, Jesus says, run to me. I, I, I love that. I love, love that my Father in heaven, as he watches me make mistakes, says, run to me. Run, run to me. Let me ask you this last question, and we're going to kind of close our time with this, is this. Do you need to run to him this morning? That question's open to everyone. Those who don't know him, maybe, you're, maybe somebody shared this Facebook video and you're bored because you're at home all week and you're, you're just watching this. And you're at this part and you're like, I don't know if I even, what the sin thing is, I don't, I don't get it. But there's something telling you that, that your life is broken, that you're not doing things the way your creator designed you to do things. 
Do you need to run to Jesus this morning? Do you need to go and be in his presence and say, forgive me and help me live the way you've called me to live? Maybe you've been a believer for 30 years, 40 years, and maybe you've been struggling. Maybe, maybe this, this pandemic has put a, put, a, put a damper on your faith. Maybe it's hard to trust God in times like this, and you've been struggling, and you've been trusting yourself, and, and, you've, been, and you've been making mistakes, and you haven't been running towards God. You've been running away from God. This morning, right where you are in the living room, wherever you are, you have an opportunity to run to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me when I haven't pursued complete holiness. Forgive me when I haven't leaned on you. Let me run to you now. Let us pray together. Wherever you are out there, I would just encourage you to take this moment and close your eyes. Close your eyes and and. Begin to examine your heart and go, Lord, where, where am I not pursuing you? Where am I not leaning on you? There, there, there's a space in our life somewhere where we're saying those very things. And so, Father, we, we come before you this morning. We are both humbled because we know we break your law. We know we sin. We, we, we can't help it. Because of Adam and the curse that he shares with us, we are unable to keep your law perfectly and completely. So, Father, we humble before you, asking, begging, forgive us today. And then, Father, we are exalted because we know that your son paid the price for those very sins. That he says to us right now, come, come to me, those who are, who are burdened and heavy laden. Come and I will give you rest. May we all, Father, may we all heed those words this morning. And may you be glorified in our life so that the world around us would see your truth in us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.